Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. So for the last uh, few weeks, I've been talking about faith that makes sense. Uh, Too often, faith is considered to be just a preference, just uh, just a tradition. Too often, faith is described as believing in something that has no evidence. But the truth is that faith is more than a set of traditions. It's not just a preference. And the truth is that faith doesn't have to be blind, ignorant, or without evidence. We have a faith that makes sense. First, I talked about what faith really is. Faith is believing in God, and it's more than that. Faith is trusting in God, and it's more than that. Faith is living in obedience to God, and it's more than that. Faith is also a status. It's a position in which we live. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. To have faith means that we are in the faith. And then I talked about evidence that we can trust to have confidence that God is real. The Bible tells us that God is real, but there's even more. The nature of the universe clearly points us towards a creator. The universe has a beginning. Science has shown that there was a beginning point to the universe. And therefore, if the universe has a beginning, it has to have a cause. It was caused by something. The organization and the design of our universe is too complex to be just random chance. And our natural sense of morality a natural understanding of some things being good and some things being bad is written into our humanity. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. And then, last week, I talked about how we can place our trust in the Bible. The unique structure of the Bible, the diversity and the consistency of the authorship is too precise to be anything less than supernatural. And history supports the credibility of the Bible. Archaeology continues over and over again to validate the Bible. And prophecy, proven, gives real support for the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed. That's been our focus for the last three weeks. So last Sunday, uh, I shared evidence that the Bible can be trusted as the authentic Word of God. Well, this morning I want to begin with a question. What are the most important words in the Bible? That's kind of tricky, isn't it? That's hard to actually stop and think about. What are the most important words in the Bible? 
But I kind of think, it's a hard question to consider, but I kind of think that you could make a case and you could possibly say that the most important words in the Bible are the first four words. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God. That's only four words, but those four words have a lot of significance. Paul David Tripp said, those words are meant to change the way you think about yourself, life, God, and everything else. God was on sight before you were. The earth and everything in it is an expression of his design and his purpose. Because he's the creator of all things, all things belong to him. God created you, that means you belong to him. You and I were carefully designed for his purpose. We did not make ourselves. We did not rise out of the primordial ooze, the result of some impersonal forces. We are the direct product of God's creative power and will. Since God created us, that means that by our nature, we belong to him. He created us, so therefore, by by our nature, we belong to him. The creator of owns his creation. In 1961, the Museum of Modern Art displayed a painting by a famous French artist named Henri Matisse. It was a painting called La Batue. At least that's how I think you say it. It's French for the boat. Uh, It was on display, that painting was on display for 47 days. Roughly 100,000 people admired the painting. But then a woman named Genevieve noticed something. She had admired and appreciated the paintings of Henry Matisse, and she noticed something about this painting that didn't seem quite right. So she looked close, and she figured it out. The painting had been displayed upside down. She told a guard at the museum, and he just laughed, and he said, You don't know what's up, and you don't know what's down, and neither do we. But eventually, she got the message to the appropriate people, and the picture was turned right side up. She knew the artist, therefore she knew what it was supposed to look like. The artist himself, he would have known right away that it was wrong. Because an artist is the creator of his work. And no one knows their creation better than the creator. The one who created knows what's right and knows what's wrong. The one who created has the ownership and has the authority over his creation. Well, Psalm 24.1 tells us, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We belong to God, therefore we are accountable to God. And because we're accountable to God, there's an expectation and a standard that is meant for us. Think about it like this. Here's a good way to think about it. As parents, as parents, didn't you have expectations for your kids? Didn't you have standards that they were meant to follow? Didn't you have hopes and dreams for them? But also as parents, don't you you love your children? Don't you want what's best for them? God is even more than a father to us. He is even more than the perfect father could ever be. Sometimes parents, sometimes 
as parents, our standards and our expectations are twisted by our own selfishness or our own failures, our own imperfections. When, when my kids were little, uh, when Jessica and Kyle were, were young and little, we never let them watch uh, the SpongeBob cartoon. Uh, we never let them watch SpongeBob. It was off limits. We forbid it. Uh, one day when they were older, they turned on the TV and SpongeBob was on. So they started watching it. And then they started watching a couple episodes. And Jessica comes to me and she says, Dad, she goes, I don't see anything really inappropriate or immoral. Why couldn't we watch this when we were little? And I said, it was never about the content. I just hated it. <laughs> I hated the sound of his voice, and I always thought it was a dumb show, so I just told you you couldn't watch it. <laughs> now, Tom and Jerry, that's a good cartoon. SpongeBob, that's just dumb. So we told them they can't watch it. You see, sometimes as parents, we set standards and we make rules for our own benefit. Sometimes they're just random, subjective, meaningless. That's where God's different. That's that's where God is different. Because his standards are not random or meaningless. In fact, God's standards are determined by his nature. God's standards are determined by his nature. In the Old Testament, we are told to be holy because God is holy. In the New Testament, we're told the same thing. Be holy because God is holy. Does that surprise you? Why would God expect me to be holy? He knows that I'm just a person. He knows that I make mistakes. How could he expect me to be holy? Here's what we really need to understand. God's not expecting our holiness because he just decided to set this real high standard for us to try to live by. God just thought, what should I expect of those people that I created? Well, I'm going to expect them to be holy. I'm going to expect them to be perfect. Oh, I know they're going to mess it up, but I'm going to expect it anyway. That's not what God did. I mean, have you ever met those parents? Have you met those parents who have like a totally unrealistic expectation for their kids? Like the dad who expects his son to become a pro NBA basketball player. The kid's 14 years old, barely five foot tall, doesn't have any coordination, can't dribble the ball without looking at it, but he's going to go pro. Just saying, you may want to rethink that. God hasn't set some incredibly high standard for us just because. We're told to be holy because God is holy. God calls us to holiness because He is holy. God's absolutely 100% pure and perfect. God is distinct and He stands apart from anything that is tainted or impure. And the Bible teaches us that impurity and imperfection is sin. And that's a big problem for you and I. That's a big problem for you and I. Because we are sinners. Now, we were created pure and perfect. 
God doesn't make anything that's less than perfect. But every single one of us failed to live perfect lives. We have intentionally done what was wrong. We have intentionally rebelled against God. We have known what was right, and we still chose to do what was wrong. We've known what was right, and we failed to do it. In Romans 3.23, the Bible tells us that we have all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Just sit down and watch TV. Read the news. Watch the people around you. Humanity is filled with violence, immorality, selfishness, greed, pride, hateful hearts. Human trafficking is at an all-time high. Government corruption, corporate fraud, domestic abuse, sexual immorality, substance abuse, tax fraud, cheating, hate speech, racism, fear-mongering, violent crimes. We are a bunch of sinners. The Bible tells us, though, that our world will continue to be a sinful culture. 2 Timothy 3, verse 2 through 5 says, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, most of us probably find it pretty easy to see the sin of the world. Most of us are probably pretty good at taking note of the sin of this world. But sometimes we struggle to see our own sin. Because we tend to qualify it by, about, by how bad it is. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy at work. Uh, he's living wild. I'm not as bad as that woman I know on Facebook. She has a reputation. You see, we take our sin and we compare it to something worse. And then we don't think that our sin is really that bad. Maybe it's not even really a sin if, if we you know, compare it. That's why church becomes an option. We just don't really need it all that much. That's why our Bibles collect dust. That's why our faith is just a part of our life instead of in our entire life filling it up. Because we don't think we're as bad as we... We don't think we're that bad. We're not like other people. So we don't really need God all that much. We aren't desperate for more of God because we think we're okay. We're not as bad as other people. But here's the thing, God's not comparing us to anyone else. God is not comparing us to anyone else. His standard is fixed and firm. Holiness. 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 It's pretty easy to convince ourselves that we're okay. We see ourselves like this pure, clean glass of water that we can offer to God. But God's vision is much better than ours. He he looks down into our life in a microscopic way. 
and he sees what is really there. He sees those impure thoughts. He, he sees those mixed motives. He can see the ugliness of our envy. He can see the callous hearts, our shallow attitudes. He can see our pride. He sees all of that, even the things that we manage to hide from the people around us. He sees even more than we can see ourselves. We're not as pure as we think we are. And God, because he's holy, he will not allow sin to exist in his presence. It's not that God's afraid of sin. It's not that God's worried that he himself might become stained by sin if it gets near him. God doesn't allow sin because it's, if a good God ignores a bad thing, he's no longer good. If a good God ignores bad things, he's no longer good. Imagine, imagine a police officer who sees a major crime taking place. Maybe like an attempted kidnapping. He sees this taking place, but then the officer intentionally just turns away and does nothing about it. Would we call him a good police officer? Imagine an employer. An employer who has an employee who's always late for work, has been caught stealing supplies from work, doesn't get his work done, but the employer just lets it all go. Would we consider him a good employer? Imagine a parent who who doesn't set any boundaries for her child. She never teaches, guides, corrects, or disciplines. She essentially ignores her child and just lets the child do or say without any consequences. Would we call her a good parent? It's not good to just ignore bad things. It's not good to just let bad things go. And God, in all of his goodness, all of his greatness, is not going to let sin go. God is good. He's more than good. He's perfect. Therefore, His holiness becomes the standard to which sin must be dealt with. God will not ignore or allow sin. We are accountable to God. God does not let sin go unpunished. He will not let sin exist in His presence, and we are guilty sinners. Do you remember uh, what Scooby-Doo used to say? Rut-row, Raggy. Seriously, that's where we're at. We're accountable to God. God does not let sin go unpunished. He will not let sin exist in his presence, and we are guilty sinners. Uh, oh, we got a big problem. And the problem is God is holy, and we are not. Leanne sent me a picture from school this week. One of her second grade students wrote this and clipped it onto the board. It says, I don't know if you can read it real well, but it says, Warning everybody, Mrs. Purdy is awesome. (laughs) Now, I I got a kick out of that. Uh, Our daughter Jessica saw that text and she said, oh, that's adorable. Kyle saw the text and he said, oh, that's so great and it's true. I saw the text, and I said, you've got those kids brainwashed. (laughs) I think it's funny, though, because it says warning. (laughs) 
But when I got that text, I was working on this message, and I thought about this. I thought, God is holy. God is awesome. And that actually should be a warning to us. Because the guilt of our sin, with the guilt of our sin, we stand before God exposed and vulnerable. Our sin is a problem. We can try to fix it. We can try to clean up our life and live better. But imagine this. Let's say that you managed a company. And your accountant comes to you and he tells you that there have been several mistakes ever since the company was first started. Money that was supposed to go to suppliers somehow never got paid. The company mismanaged the account and actually didn't pay out thousands of dollars to several different suppliers. Now imagine, as manager, you tell your accountant this. You go to your accountant and you say, Okay, write to each company and apologize for the mistake, and then promise them that we're going to do better from now on. Would they be satisfied? Would they be satisfied with that? No. They're not going to be satisfied with that. They've lost thousands of dollars that have never been paid, that should have been paid to them. They're not going to be satisfied with that because there was no restitution for the wrongdoing. Oh, I I, I know we didn't pay you thousands of dollars for a number of years, but... I'm sorry, we're going to do better from now on. They're not going to be satisfied with that because there was no restitution for the wrongdoing. The promise to do better is all well and good, but what about what was already done? So even if we could do better, even if we could do better, we could commit to God and say, Lord, I'm never going to sin again. I apologize. I'm sorry. I'm never going to sin again. What about the past sin? Ecclesiastes 3.15 says, God will call the past to account. Now, Now let me be clear. It's not possible. Let me be clear. It's not possible. But if we could go forward and live a perfect life without sin, we would still have a problem because we have a past account marked by sin without payment. One sin, one moment, makes us a sinner. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. How many sins make you a sinner? One. Remember, God is holy. And His holiness does not tolerate even one imperfection. We are accountable to God, and our account with God is not settled until payment has been made down to every single penny. Our account is not settled until it's paid in full. The Bible tells us very explicitly what is required for that payment. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. The New Century Version actually says it like this. The payment for sin is death. Your sin earns death, not just a physical death, but a spiritual death, an eternal separation from God, an eternal punishment for sin. It's hell. That's what our sin, that's how we pay for our sin. 
Because of our sin, we are in conflict with God. But there's hope. There's forgiveness. There's grace. But we first must acknowledge how good and how awesome God is. And we must acknowledge our guilt and our sin. C.S. Lewis said it like this. In God, you come up against something which in every respect is immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. Romans 6.23 says that the payment for sin is death, but then it says this, it says, the payment for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Jesus was given and his life was given making payment for our sin. Isaiah 53.5 says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we've been healed. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14, says, God made us alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the debt which listed the rules we failed to follow. He took away that record with its rules, and he nailed it to the cross. Yes, we are accountable to God. Accountable because he's our creator. Accountable because he is holy and does not allow sin to exist. We are sinners, guilty and deserving punishment. But if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, then our account has been paid. It's been paid in full. Please stand with me as I pray. God, may we recognize that you are the one that created all that is. You're the one that gave us life. Because of that, you have rights over us. We belong to you. And God, by your nature, you do not allow sin to be in your presence. You do not allow it to exist. By your nature, you will punish sin. And God, we are all guilty of that. We are all guilty of turning our back against you, breaking your standards, being less than what you created us to be. So God, we are more than grateful that you gave your son who did live a sinless life but then took the punishment of death for us. By his wounds, we've been healed. By his death, our account has been paid in full. God, we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. And if you'd like to leave a comment, please send an email to c.wordspodcast at gmail.com. May the word of God be living and active in your life.